Impact. That's the big thing we're hearing today from today's younger workforce. They want to have impact. It is not just about dollars and cents anymore. It is about purpose. It is about cause. It is about having impact. And so with that, can you take on City Hall? Can you take on the U.S. government? Can you make change at scale? Well, I'll tell you, our two guests today, Jessica and Jennifer, are trying to do that with the American foster care system. That's right. Two people are taking on the foster care system and trying to make a change. Want to hear how they're doing it? Want to hear how they're going about it? Want to hear who's actually funding this audacious endeavor? Stay tuned. We're going to talk about it today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello and welcome to the podcast. As I said in the intro, can you take on City Hall? Can you take on big government? Can you make a change at scale and do something that makes a difference? I will tell you, I'm so impressed with Jennifer and Jessica and they're doing just that. They're looking at the American foster care system with this endeavor called Connect Our Kids and they're trying to make a change at scale. And one of the things that they talk to me about is they're trying to do this in a way that they're actually providing the technology to the states to allow them to do this for themselves. Big, audacious plans. I love it. I love what they're thinking. If you don't know much about the American foster care system, if you don't know what it is or why or what's happening or what the numbers are, well, I'll tell you one thing that is just shocking. Foster care kids are diagnosed with PTSD. That's twice the rate of people in war or people in combat, twice the rate. So it's affecting an entire generation of kids. It's infecting an entire generation of adults. It is affecting everybody. Let's talk about the American foster care system with Jennifer and Jessica. Take it away. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Very, very excited to have Jennifer and Jessica on. They are doing something positively amazing as a not-for-profit. It's called connectourkids.org. We're going to talk all about it and why it's so important to you and everyone around you. Um, I'm going to first introduce them. I'm excited to have both of them on. It's been great having them on prep, and you're going to enjoy the conversation just as much as I have. So Jennifer, Jessica, who the heck are you and why are you on the podcast? Thank you, Todd. I'm Jennifer Jacobs. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Connect Our Kids. I was previously uh, an Army officer, a West Point graduate, and I spent uh, quite a few years doing nuclear and homeland um, security. And then, uh, we'll tell you the story along the way, I switched my focus a bit and co-founded Connect Our Kids with Jessica. And, um, and we're working on foster care, uh, improvement of outcomes in foster care through technology. Awesome. Jessica, how about you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm Jessica Stern. I'm co-founder and COO of Connect Our Kids. I have a background in communications, and I've worked both in the private and public sector. Uh, never dreamed or planned to become a founder of anything, um, but here I am, and um, I'm glad to be here. Well, perfect. Thank you both. So um, let's let's start with sort of setting the groundwork here, right? Foster care. I think people have a conception of it. Um, there's a new DC movie out called Shazam that's has a couple of kids that are in foster care. Um, but for the most part, I, I don't think people really think that much about it. I think it's just one of those things you sort of toss away term. Uh, you think about it as like welfare or some other sort of government system. And I don't think people mm-hmm. are spending a lot of time thinking about it. So 
So help us get a ground ground base of foster care and why it needs the change. What's, what are you trying to do? Well, the American foster care system is, uh, is a system that touches everyone's lives. But what I find really fascinating is nobody really knows anything about it unless they actually have been uh, in it or around it. Uh, it's um, a $9 billion a year system. There are nearly a half a million children that are currently in the system. And uh, they're brought in for various reasons. Uh, neglect, abuse, uh, poverty is a, a driver uh, to this. And um, parents who can no longer take care of the children are pulled into the government's custody. And they are put into foster homes and or group homes, depending on their age or, or what their situation is. And um, every state is different and every uh, state operates differently, meaning uh, there's a lot of disconnection and um, it's, it's a very siloed system, I guess, is the best way to put it. And one of the things people often don't realize, and I didn't know before I started researching this, is that often when kids go into foster care, they essentially lose contact with um, their families, not just their the parent that they were removed from, but um, sometimes with all of their family. And because of rules that are there to protect the children, unfortunately, those rules can also separate the children and essentially isolate them uh, from, from everyone they've known and from those who can be part of their support system. Um, and that can be really devastating to, to anyone, but particularly to a child. So is it, is it a circumstance where they've got aunts and uncles and cousins and people that have been part of their family and their support system and suddenly they're separated from those folks? Uh, they yeah. may, yeah, they, they may have that situation. Uh, we had one uh, young woman we were talking with her, her young cousin is in foster care and, and she wanted to visit that cousin just as a cousin, um, as you might visit your cousin. <laughs> and she was legally not allowed to do that unless she was applying to be part of the system. In other words, to adopt him or to be his foster parent, unless she was putting herself into that foster care apparatus, she wasn't allowed to just be his cousin. Wow. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to note too that um, oftentimes that circle of dysfunction is removed from a lot of family members. So I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have said I had no idea my niece or nephew was in the foster care system, or I had no idea my cousin was in the foster care system because they had removed themselves from you know, whatever it is that her, that, that immediate family is, is struggling with, whether it be drugs and alcohol or mental illness or uh, just extreme poverty. And so there's just a lot of disconnect there. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it's a, it's a, the attempt of a fix for a bad situation, but what it also yeah. sounds like is it's not that great of a fix. Right. And that's where I think the two of you <laughs> have come in to try and find a way to fix what is ultimately a broken system, right? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of things about foster care that that feel bad. And, and I think when the public thinks about child welfare, they often get the sense, 
to the extent that they know anything about foster care, they feel it's a hopeless situation. You know, it's just a mess. It's bureaucracy. And even though they're not happy about that, uh, it feels like there's not a lot that the average person can do. Um, we're focusing on one particular area of foster care in which there's not only a lot of hope, but, but it's totally doable. And, and that area is um, scaling up a system that's already working, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's a method of finding permanent supportive families for foster kids. It's already being used out in the field by a number of organizations. But right now, it, uh, it involves building out a, a very large family tree. And right now, it's just so resource intensive that very few, few children can actually benefit from this uh, method. It, it takes really what almost all of us can understand, which is that if I tell you, Todd, that there's a, you know, there's a 12-year-old in foster care, and he's really struggling, and he needs, he needs some help, he needs a permanent family, he needs a support network, you're likely to feel badly about that, but it isn't necessarily going to move you to particular action with regard to that child. If I tell you that he's your, your second cousin or your wife's second cousin, it still may not be the right time in your life. The right, you might not be in the right place to become that child's permanent parent, but I'm pretty sure it changed the way you think about that in your mind. You're probably going to start calling aunts and uncles. You're going to try to find out you know, what happened here. Who's, whose child is this? How can we help? And that's what this system does. They find that, uh, the, the folks who do it now, they find that if they can, on average, uh, find 150 adult members of that child's family or other connections, could be teachers, um, coaches, neighbors like that, but largely, the largest group is relatives. Um, on average, they'll find someone who is going to become that child's permanent parent. And they'll also find a network of support around that child. And that's that's um, tripling the success rate for children for, uh, for whom this uh, is provided. The problem is that it's extremely resource intensive. So what we're doing at Connect Our Kids is we're just scaling that system up. We're scaling up this already successful approach so that uh, those who are already doing it can keep doing what they're doing, but they can do it for more children. They can do it faster and they can do it um, with more precision because every child who's in foster care deserves to have a permanent supportive family. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, I, I do, if I could point out, Todd, I think it's really important um, to recognize that every social worker in this country, by law, is supposed to contact extended family members once a child comes into their custody. But they, these people are so overworked and overwhelmed. Their caseloads are, are extreme. And they simply don't have the time to build out an extensive family tree. The ones that are doing this currently actually get special grants to do it. So they have to actually apply for funding to get special grants to sit around and, and build out a family tree. And so that's what we're trying to bridge that gap and say, hey, all of the social workers in this country, every family recruiter deserves to have the, the best technology that will build out a family tree quickly with precision and speed and accuracy and get these kids placed quickly. Well, and the, the thing that I was, I was really struck with and, and I even thought about when we were doing some of the introductory calls was, so you're tackling something that I think a lot of people look at and go, that's either a, a problem that's too big for me or a problem that somebody else could hopefully solve, but it's, it's a government thing, right? So 
as soon as we put this, well, it's, it's a government or it's an institution or it's a this or it's a that, we suddenly start putting up barriers and blocking the idea that that's something that we can actually go tackle, right? Who am I to go in and solve a thing that the government's trying to do? If the government can't do it, how could I fit in? And it's going to be so bureaucratic and will they even let me come in and touch that? And so I love the idea that the two of you have gone and created this organization and we're going to get into the bones of this and how you've led it and built it and grown it and what that looks like, but that you've been able to do this in a place that I think most people wouldn't even feel like they were invited to try and solve the problem. And so that that's one of the, the first, I think, big lessons here is, you know, there, there are ways to go in and tackle not just uh, consumer issues or technological issues, but societal issues in unique mm-hmm. and interesting ways. If you just put your mind to it, put a little elbow grease into it, and you've got the passion and energy to try and tackle it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and to be honest, I did feel exactly that way for uh, for a few years while I was doing this research. I, I think there's a couple important things to note about that. One is with regard to this problem, um, this is the American foster care system. This is all our system. And whether or not your own family, anyone's own family is touched by it, it's the system that we Americans are providing and we're paying for it. Uh, from a tax dollars perspective, we're paying a lot of money for it and we're not getting a particularly great return from it. Children who age out of foster care, never having found that forever family, by age 26, statistically two thirds of them have experienced homelessness, incarceration, or they are dead. That is not a great return. Uh, less than 4% achieve a college um, education, a bachelor's degree, and they are chronically under and unemployed and unfortunately, they often have children that they're not prepared to take care of. And that puts another generation of foster children, um, yeah. another generation of children yeah. into foster care. So, so whether or not uh, it's a particular person's field, the thing is, it's, it's, it actually is all of ours. It belongs mm-hmm. to all of us. It's our, it's our system. So, so there's that. But I also think it's important because I did feel for a long time since I didn't have, essentially, I had lived in foster care. I don't have a personal experience with foster care. And I, and I felt for a while that that did mean that I didn't have um, the right to have an idea in this space. And that I, I really should mind my own business with regard to this space. And um, after a while, I realized um, that, you know, if we left finding a cure for multiple sclerosis, to only those people who have the disease or who are directly touched by the disease, that sounds really foolish, right? Um, yeah. you, you want to bring all good ideas to the table and you want to have all participants who are going to bring value to the table. You want them there. Why would it be different in this field? And so I eventually decided, you know, if this idea has legs and, and that was initially the, the first uh, several years I spent really researching and then met Jessica and we spent time together researching, then it needs to come to the table. And it's actually my obligation to do that, have an idea. These children are stuck in the system. And if, if this idea that we're building can help them, then we have an obligation if we're able to bring that idea to the table and try to bring it to fruition. Also, I met Jessica and she does have lived experience and that was extremely valuable um, for me. It, it did give me more confidence, uh, but also um, I, I like 
to explain that concept that I, I often, you know, we find people who are working um, in a particular area and it's because they have lived that and that's really valuable. But I, I don't think that we should expect people to necessarily have that experience for them to come and want to want to contribute to that area. Yeah, it's not a prerequisite. Right. Well, and, and I think that's, I, I love that example, especially when you start tying this to something like, you're right, when you put it to a disease, um, gee, you can't go in and do a cure for cancer unless you've had cancer, right? I, I think we'd all sort of shake right. our heads and say that's ridiculous. So why yeah, put right. that same, why put that same stigma or those same limitations on, on something like this? So, so now I want to talk about, right, the two of you have met, you've done the research, um, and, and really even to take it down to bare bones, you, you did what a, a tech startup would do or any other startup. You did sort of product market fit. Like what's the, what's the thing that I'm trying to solve? And is there a, is there a market? Is there a need for this? What's the pain point? And what can I go and address? And is it too niche and too narrow? Is it too wide and too broad? Am I able to actually go in and tackle that? And so you, you went through the same, uh, you know, even though the model is different and the purpose is different and there's a higher social good here, you went through the same things that a, a regular startup would do. Like, how do I, how do I mm-hmm. fit this and what does this look uh-huh. like? And, and then, you know, you had to go through fundraising, right? There's not some uh, un- yeah. unlimited gobs <laughs> amount of money, like mana from heaven that came tumbling down on you, right? So let's, let's talk about taking this idea and then actually going and getting funding. What was that process like? Oh, that's a funny conversation. So, <laughs> funding, that's an interesting word. So I think number one, I, I mean, I would say the first thing we did was go out and interview social workers and family recruiters to determine what exactly is their experience and how can we help them. And so when we decided, okay, we are going to launch Connect Our Kids, we're going to need, you know, a logo, a website. Jen and I are not independently wealthy. If we were, it would be a stress-free, relatively stress-free process. Um, but we decided uh, the first was family and friends round, much like a startup. I, I think you go to people who believe in you. Um, and then we started the grassroots, just trying to get people engaged from you know colleges and different organizations, moms groups who who would do grassroots fundraising for us. And that's kind of how we started out. Yeah, and we've also gone to, um, as part of that grassroots, I would say, some local organizations. We were selected early on by Birkin Herbert Banks, which is a local Virginia bank. They, every year, select a, a local Virginia charity, and in a combination with the Washington Capitals, run a, um, a support of that charity. So they selected us in 2017 for the 17 18 yeah. season, the season in which the Washington Capitals were the Stanley Cup champions. So we clearly have karma that we bring. Yeah, and, that's right. Um, and, and so we received uh, really um, incredibly um, important funding from them early on. And then we have also received some funding from churches who, of course, this, this mission speaks to churches very deeply and um, a number of people who, who have those kinds of ties. So, you know, we've had a few different, both, both individual and organizational grassroots efforts. And then we are, we're finding now that uh, we're starting to move close to our operational pilot phase in which we will be 
taken this software once it's completed a little bit later this year, and we'll start to do the pilot, like the beta testing, in a few locations around the country. And there are mid-sized family foundations that are really committed to the children in their communities. And so for some of those in which uh, foster children uh, is their focus, this is really speaking to them. And so we're really excited about partnering with several of those potentially in areas where we'll be able to actually start to use the software tool to help children find the permanent supportive families. Yeah, I wanted to also point out that the Burke and Herbert Bank scores for kids uh, Jen, I, I think that you and I have talked about this a couple times where that really was a game changer for us because it wasn't just that the Washington Capitals were awesome that year and we ended up getting uh, $26,000 from that, uh, the scores for kids program. But then it kind of launched us into this, you know, much bigger atmosphere and we were then um, accepted to apply for an award for the Accenture Innovate for Good Challenge. And so we applied for this award and we won first place. And, and to me, wow. I, think, I think that, yeah, it, it was a big deal for us. And, and it was just an honor. Um, but it was a domino effect where, you know, a local bank, Brooke and Herbert, which is the oldest bank in Virginia, noticed what we were doing and said, hey, that is innovative and cool. We want to get behind it. And then Accenture did the same thing, which, you know, that is uh, another big um, hit, I think, for us. So we were very fortunate in the first, you know, year or two of operations where we got those, um, that acknowledgement, if you will. One of the things that I love about C-Suite Radio, I love that we have sponsors. I know, crazy, right? But one of the things that is so fantastic about this radio, this radio show, and this platform is that people love to invest their time, effort, and energy to make sure that shows like this get heard by people like you. So with that, I would like to have a quick commercial break from one of our favorite sponsors. Thank you so much. And now we're back to Jennifer and Jessica talking about Connect Our Kids. Well, and I think one of the things that's, that's fascinating too, especially about um, uh, about finding sources of funding of, of uh, you know, even just covering your costs, right? Especially when you're a not-for-profit, the the challenge is, you know, you can you go the route for most traditional startups where they're looking for, okay, here's what my revenue stream or here's what my growth strategy will look like. Here's what your return is gonna gonna be down the road. And so you've got investors that are willing to look at this and say, all right, I'll give you a dollar, and what am I going to get in return? You don't have the same dynamic when you're dealing with a, a program like yours. And so uh, I also think that changes the conversation pretty dramatically. And I, I'm curious because I've heard this too from, from a group of people when they were going through their sort of funding rounds is um, sort of a little bit of three blind mice. Like, you know what you want to do and you know it's out there, but just having a ton of conversations and not having a clear path and sometimes sort of winding back around on each other until you kind of find the thing that works. And then you have that moment that clicks and you're like, oh, okay, now this is the path we can start taking forward. Um, and I guess I just asked you, do you have the same sort of thing where you felt like you were just having a lot of conversations and was taking an inordinate amount of time 
to get you to that place where you finally found your footing, so to speak. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that would be true. <laughs> I, I think if I had only uh, loved those conversations, I could tell you how many they were. Yeah, yeah and, and we've had a lot of conversations. Um, I had one person tell me that he, uh, he was giving me some advice on fundraising, and he said that he has, he has said to, to funders uh, many times, do you want me to the chicken or the egg? Because a funder wants to see something in order to invest in it, and in order to make that thing for you, I need some money. <laughs> so yeah. I, can't, uh, I can't develop a product without money. I can't get money without a product. So, um, so the chicken or the egg. In our case, this emphasizes what Jessica was just saying about Burke and Herbert. I, 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 really I don't think we can say too strongly how pivotal their support was early on because uh, we were having a lot of those conversations and, and people love the idea. They loved us, but you know, they didn't know us except for people who were in our friends, friends and family around. And when Burke and Herbert stepped up and said, you know, this is really cool. And, uh, and we're looking to support some of this exactly like this kind of thing, the Washington Capitals and um, Joe Beninati in particular and Craig Laughlin of the announcers stepped up they they made announcements during the game they interviewed us uh had us up there in their booth and so we got a lot of exposure in addition to the funding that we received at the end and it was not only really significant in terms of the funding um it it was really significant in terms of the credibility and them being the first organization to step up and say put their name behind us and so uh that was was indeed a game changer we also then had uh, the National Capital Presbytery here, a group of churches, who said this, this speaks to what we're about, and they gave us a grant as well. Uh, we've had a number of folks from within that organization individually uh, stand behind us and say this is this speaks to what we're about. Um, and then, uh, indeed, the Innovate for Good Challenge was enormous for us. That that was a, a straight-on competition. We entered. One of our volunteers found it for us. We have some amazing volunteers. And she had done the legwork. She had found it. Um, we applied. We went through several rounds of interviews. And um, honestly, as such a young startup, you know, we, we are so excited about what we're doing. We know it's going to make a difference. But sometimes other people aren't sure. And so for Innovate for Good to select us, to recognize the potential behind this, and to select us for this and put their name behind this very small startup, um, was similarly extremely huge. And, that, and that's been kind of the next pivot point for us. And then, uh, like I said, it, it's, it's made such a difference as we've started to talk to these uh, mid-sized family foundations where they don't have to make such a leap to say, who are Jessica and Jennifer? <laughs> you, you, got, right. you, know, you ladies are real nice, but uh, you know, how, how, do we, how do we have some confidence behind that? So it's really a stepping up in terms of, um, in terms of gaining that support so that for each potential funder, the risk decreases a little bit. And when you can get those yeah. first funders to take that first step, then others can rely on that. And, um, and we become more vetted. Uh, when a company like Accenture has taken a look at what you're doing and said, yeah, that's, that's not only really cool, but it makes sense. And it can work. And, um, and that starts to make a big difference, I think, as other funders look at us. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was having a conversation uh, just yesterday with uh, a gentleman who started an organization called yellowface.org. 
and their mission is to stop the um, misrepresentation of Asians in the arts and in ballet and dance. And so he is very, very specific mission is very passionate about it. And he wants to try and open it up from a, from a diversity and inclusion perspective through these ballet companies. The point was though, he took this approach that I found really interesting where instead of going into the largest or the best or the best known ballet companies and trying to get them to do this, he leveraged some relationships with what he'd call the second tier, the kind of middle of the road companies and mm-hmm. found a foothold with a few of them. Then he used that to find a foothold with a few others like, hey, Denver's doing this, so you need to do this, Louisville. And then once he had enough of those, he went to the smaller companies and said, look, all these bigger companies are doing it. You need to get on board. And once he had the middle-sized companies and the smaller companies, then he went to the bigger companies and said, hey, you know what? Everybody else is on here. And unless you want to be perceived (laughs) as a dinosaur, (laughs) you should get on this too. And suddenly all these big, well-established, well-known companies came on board and now they had a groundswell. And (laughs) I'm always fascinated with, uh, like, we just need this one thing to happen, right? It's the one it's the one rock that starts the boulder that starts the avalanche that starts everything. And if you mm-hmm. can find ways to make that happen, then you've got a real opportunity to get funding or to bring on great people or to build a groundswell or to get, you know, your first couple of customers or clients or to be able to test this out. It's that one thing that clicks. And, and again, you can be really smart and strategic about it. And you were doing the same things. You were finding that one foothold. And then that's the thing that started leading you down this path where now you've got, you've got a little momentum and you can start actually building and prototyping this thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, exactly. absolutely. That was a long way to go, but we, we got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to, I want to shift just a little bit. So um, here's one thing that I'm always fascinated by too, because you, you didn't have this windfall funding thing. You didn't have this, you know, Again, this uh-huh. angel that came in and gave you all this money and all of a sudden that problem was erased. So you're, you're looking for funding. Um, sometimes, you know, bubble gum and chicken wire, just making it happen. You're prototyping this, you're building, you're trying to uh, get advocates, you're trying to bring people on board. How are you thinking about it and how are you managing the time that you're spending towards all of those? Because you could over-rotate and do all of it just on trying to get funding, but then not be doing anything else for the organization. But then again, if you don't do the funding, nothing else really mm-hmm. matters. So how, how are you dividing and conquering? How are you processing and putting the, that into practice? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, yeah. that's what I do here. So I ask of, questions. <laughs> you, you asked the good questions. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's been uh, extremely critical for us as well is that um, my husband is a tech startup guy. So that has been extremely valuable because his job, he was not, he's been our, he's our first tech advisor at Connect Our Kids. And his job was to find me uh, essentially a CTO. And so he found me uh, several other tech advisors. One has become our, our CTO and, and he's amazing. And mm, so, yeah, he's lovely. So, uh, and his name is Travis Collins and, and he's been extremely critical to us being able to develop the technology. I'm a scientist, but I'm not uh, a software developer. So um, Travis largely focuses on that piece. And uh, we, Jessica and I have done a lot of um, research and data gathering. And, and so we essentially 
help design what the software should do. But then we largely break that piece off. And, and when Travis came on board, that was also a pivotal moment because it allowed us to do exactly what you're talking about. We still do uh, feel like we're juggling a number of balls. At least I do. I don't know about you, Jessica. But, um, but yeah, I think we both wear a lot of hats. Yeah, the ability to transfer that uh, a large part of that responsibility to someone who has spent a career doing exactly this kind of thing, startups, uh, tech startups, w- was enormous. And so it allows us then um, to have that done both better <laughs> than, than uh, I would have been doing it and also more efficiently. And then we can uh, divide up the responsibilities uh, a little more around the fundraising and the overall plan, strategic planning of our organization. But it is a, it is a daily struggle. I would say, Todd, it's, um, it's always, you know, what are the most critical things in this list of a hundred things that we'd really like to do? Yeah, I think we rely a lot on um, number one, we're excellent multitaskers. We're mothers. So it's just natural for us, number one. Number two, we uh, we do have an excellent guide uh, with our CTO, Travis Collins. And also we have a CFO who volunteers her time. And her name is Kara Dobbins. And I, I think that she's lifted a lot of the um, operational uh, administrative work off of our shoulders. And so we've been building a team of just primarily dedicated volunteers who understand the big picture of creating uh, something big and something beautiful. And, and that is what I think um, has allowed us to survive for so long on so little, because everything that we have raised for the most part goes towards developing this smart tech platform that will look a lot like Facebook, but work on the back end, much like Ancestry.com, to build out these family trees quickly. And so technology is expensive. Um, and so the money that we do raise right now, we really, we, it goes towards developing this really um, spectacular tool. Well, yeah, it, it really wouldn't be possible without, without a team. So if it, was, if it had remained just me and Jessica, and, and Kara Dobbins has been with us since the beginning. Um, she's been amazing as part of our early uh, team, but it's, it's, I don't know how it would be possible if we didn't have the the volunteers that we have. Yeah. No, it wouldn't be. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the things I actually was kind of cluing in on was, all right. So you did get people to volunteer their time. You've, you've made this work and extended Mm -hmm. yourself beyond the limits of your assets, right. To, to find resources. So, I will, I will say you both sound like warm, wonderful, lovely, smart people, but, but I can't imagine that that in and of itself did it. And so I'm going to go out and guess that you both did a really amazing job at telling the story of what it is you were trying to accomplish out there, getting people to understand the need and helping them to see themselves as part of the solution to be able to solve that. Is that, is that a pretty accurate statement? Yeah, I well, mean, I hope so. I think so. <laughs> but I, you know what? No, I mean, here's the thing, Todd. The bottom line is, the American taxpayer spends nine billion dollars a year on a foster care system. We have twenty thousand kids aging out every single year without any connectivity to family. And Jen already explained two thirds of those kids are going to end up in prison or homeless or dead by the age of twenty six, right? Yeah. So then we turn around and spend over thirty billion dollars on prisons homelessness, poverty programs. And quite frankly, 
that's just crazy, right? I, I mean, you just say that to people and they're like, oh my God, this is yeah. insane. It's the definition of insanity. And so I think that when you sit down and explain to people, there's an actual solution to one of our biggest problems. We just have to really laser focus on uh, building out these family trees and connecting these kids before they age out of the system. People get that. They're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I think also it's probably not an accident that all of us who are deeply involved in Connect Our Kids are parents. You don't have to be a parent to care about this issue, certainly. But uh, for some of us, and myself included, I I hadn't thought about the task, the overwhelming task of raising children and how really challenging it can be, especially if you um, have challenging circumstances just in your environment, um, poverty or, or, you know, any other issues, drug abuse or anything like that. So, um, I, so I, because I, I first became aware of this issue in depth when I was pregnant with my, our third child and was reading a Time um, magazine article about this exact system that we're now scaling up. And it really hit me. Um, I had twin toddlers at home, pregnant with my third child. And it really hit me that this was not a system because the Time magazine article did a really beautiful job of describing what it's like to live in foster care and then to age out of foster care. And, and it hit me that this is not a system that I want there to be any chance whatsoever that my children are involved with. Uh, you know, if unfortunate circumstances were to occur and, and my, my children weren't going to be parented by my, myself and my husband anymore. And, and so I thought, you know, that's, that's not going to happen to me. It's very unlikely. And, and so, you know, what do I care? But, the problem is that then I found out that there's 430,000 children in foster care. And if the system's not okay for my children to be in, how is it yeah. okay for those children to be in it? And, and the answer, of course, is it's not okay. And uh, if children have situation in which, if children have a situation in which they're going to have to go into some alternate care beyond their, their parents or, or immediate um, relatives, it needs to be the best we can give them. It needs to have everything that I would want my children to get if they were the ones in that situation. And that's not even close to what we have. And that became a compelling reason for me to care. And because I also had an idea then as that idea developed, uh, early on, I talked to my friend Kara, and I talked to her about it, and she's a very caring, passionate person. She's um, gone through foster care training with her husband and, and has um, a lot to give in that area. And so she also joined in with that energy. And then we met Jessica, and then we met Travis. And it doesn't mean that everyone who's a parent is going to drop what they're doing and uh, help connect our kids, but it does help if you're in a position where that's possible and um and you start to think about this circumstance and you start to visualize it for your own children it really becomes very real and it becomes very real that these 430,000 children have done nothing wrong it's not their fault that they're in foster care and so so you can care about that because it's tragedy and you're a human being and or you can also care about that because it's really expensive if you treat That's people so poorly. Expensive. Yeah. And so 
it's really expensive to keep a child in foster care. It's really expensive to have a child grow up without roots, without a sense of belonging, without a sense of community to be part of because they grow up and then they struggle as adults. And Well, um, I was just going to say that, Jen. One of the things that Jen shared with me early on was that you have foster children are diagnosed with PTSD at twice the rate as returning war veterans. Twice the rate, Todd. So yeah, that's if you can just turn on the news. Anybody, anybody who is listening to this can turn on the news and see how it affects you. I mean, we have children aging out of the system who are not not only being given treatment for PTSD, uh, but they're suffering greatly, and and we can help them. And I think that is compelling enough to just say, let's do something. Like this is affecting all of us. This is our society for crying out loud. Well, and, and one of the things that we're going to have to wrap up here in a second, because this time goes by very quickly. Um, I just want to kind of call out on a couple of things that I, I just heard, especially there at the end. And, and I do think there's, there's absolutely something here about, you know, building your tribe and getting people to rally around you. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about the friends and family sort of fundraising, but I, but I also think there's something there about taking the passion and energy when, when you feel like here's something that I can address and solve in the world and getting people excited about um, and motivated toward that, that one thing. And you brought a group of people that are excited and interested and passionate about this. And also, I think there's something even radically different about trying to solve it in the way that you're doing you know, lots of organizations, again, we'd go back to say, you know, MS, which we brought up earlier. It's one thing to say, okay, let's go in and do the walk and raise some money for that or whatever the charity or organization is. And I think people feel good in doing that, but you're also uh-huh. building an organization that's fundamentally trying to tackle and, and have a groundswell change against this system that once you start to describe it, explain it and talk to people about it, they look and go, I had no idea. That's terrible. And they can also start to see, wait a minute, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, right? What if that were my kids right. or that of my family? Why, you know, I'm so fortunate that I don't have to have that, that experience. And so now people mm-hmm. find this relatability. And, and again, I mean, I'm not to boil it down to simplistic terms, but it's being able to tell that story and to get people excited and passionate about the same things that you are. So I think it's amazing that, that you've, built this the way you have, that you've been able to go out and find the funding, that you're in a system where you know exactly what you're trying to do and how you're trying to solve it, that you're tackling something that's this big and this massive and doing it in a way that most people would have looked at, as we said earlier, well, that's just a government program and who am I to go do that? And you're actually going out there and doing it. So it's absolutely amazing. And the progress that you've made and what you've been able to do is just, just phenomenal. So with that, the work's not done, right? Funding's not no, over. You got right. lots more to do. So if people have been motivated and they've been excited about and have the same level of energy that I have with this, how do they help you? How do they get involved? What do you need? Well, we need, um, I would say, number one, funding, uh, support, fundraising support. If you can make a donation, that's great. But we're also really interested in hearing stories and and you would, you would be surprised how many um, people this really actually touches. A lot of adoption uh, cases out there and uh, families who have really gone above and beyond um, to help these kids. 
So we're interested in stories. We're interested in uh, people joining us to help fund us. We're, we're getting ready to uh, build out our pilot plan across five states. So we've essentially partnered with five organizations that work directly with children who will pilot this technology. We anticipate that this pilot um, will place approximately 1,000 children with permanent families by the end of it. Um, we, wow. it, that's pretty exciting to even think about. Um, but we do need funding for that. And that is, that's something we're focused on right now. And also we're looking for data partners. We're, um, obviously, uh, that is what is behind the, uh, power of this technology that will build out a family tree. I mean, it's much like ancestry.com in the sense of, uh, <clears throat> it has that same capability, um, of building out a family tree in the background. So we're definitely interested in uh, speaking to people who, who can open up doors for data partners. Okay. Absolutely. So data and technology partners, um, funding and storytelling, and all of those are, are of value to you. And the easiest way to get with you is connectourkids.org. Any other platforms or places they should look to reach out or connect to you? Sure. Yeah. They can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and, uh, Twitter. Okay, perfect. We will make sure that we provide all of those links on the website with the podcast so that you can connect in, but certainly you can find everything you need at connectourkids.org as well. So, uh, with that, Jennifer, Jessica, thank you so much for hopping on today and for, again, sharing the passion and energy and, uh, enthusiasm that you have for this, sharing some of the, and being just very open. I mean, uh, transparency is overused word, but being very open about some of the struggles that you had and the challenges you had to make this work and how you've been tenacious and finding ways to do it. And also just your ability and your, um, your, you know, success in helping to find a, a, again, a tribe, a group of people around you that are willing to help and excited about um, helping you accomplish this mission. So uh, very noble cause. And I love that you're actually putting it out there and going to make it happen and, you know, just wish you every success because I know it's coming your way. So thank you so much for hopping on the call today. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so thank much, you. Todd. We really appreciate it. Well, that was just fantastic. I love Jessica and Jennifer's energy and enthusiasm around this about changing foster care and doing it with Connect Our Kids. I am so impressed with the work that they've done and how they've approached this on how they're thinking about this in a way that takes people that are in the systems today that are trying to manage and are overworked and underpaid and provide them some technology, some insights, some information that makes their lives easier, that helps them help all of those kids that are in this system. And they do it in such a way that's not a new tool or technology. They're basing it on something that is simple and understandable. So they describe this as Ancestry.com for putting kids back with their families. It's such a great, simple way that people could wrap their head around it. So I give them bold marks for not only their marketing, but their approach to going in and bringing this out in the marketplace. If you'd like to learn more about them, you can find them at Connect Our Kids. You can also find information on the website at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. That's it for me for this week. Thank you for listening. Kudos to Jennifer and Jessica. Best of luck with your journey going forward. Thank you for hopping on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. 
For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.